Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. Over the past decade, anxiety has increased and become more common in daily life. We live in a time when taking care of our mental health is as important as our physical health. And it's important for us to pay close attention to how we feel and why we feel the things that we do. In this episode, we are joined by Raquel McLeod, a mental health therapist and emotional wellness coach. Raquel shares her story with us and gives us insight into a program that she developed to help free people from symptoms of depression, trauma, and resolving anxiety. This is an insightful conversation that will uncover new methods that can be helpful in alleviating stress and anxiety. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Rachel, thanks for joining us today. How's everything? Very good. Doing very well. Awesome. I'm very happy to hear that. My sister and I are both really big fans of your work, and we're really interested to do a deep dive into mental health and a lot of the struggles that we're seeing in society nowadays. But I'd love to get started by learning a little bit more about your story and what ultimately inspired you to pursue this really interesting industry that is helping a lot of people. Yeah, I... Gosh, I was just telling you that I I'm, I was in Florida for 10 years and I, I got a scholarship to play volleyball. And so I was there living it up and I, I had some mental health challenges during that time that I really didn't have words for. I just ended up crying for a couple of weeks straight and made it through that because apparently, you know, crying is a really wonderful healing intervention and it's, it comes with your operating system and it really can get you out a lot of stuff. If you do crying well, didn't know that then, but it really helped me keep moving in my life and move forward and grow past some obsessive compulsive challenges I was having. And, and then I got a degree in social work and I started working with addictions and I really, it was an honor to do that work, but it was really frustrating because I really wanted deep healing for them. And I really was not equipped for that. And I was like, well, we're going to talk about stuff for the next 12 years. Like they need help now. Like they're, this was heavy addiction stuff. And I really did not feel equipped to provide them with the support that I wanted to and get them the results that I felt that they deserved. And I was really mad and I (laughs) I quit the field. I, I got laid off. And I was pregnant and I really could not get another job. And my husband was like, why don't you stay home with the kids? And I was like, why don't I? So (laughs) I did that. And I was furious that I had a degree in, I have a whole degree in this. And I didn't feel like it worked. And fast forward, three babies, and I really was hit hard with postpartum depression, anxiety. It was just, it was so much stress that my actual childhood trauma and and complex trauma disorder started to really surface. And I just ran out of function. Um, I couldn't solve problems. I, my life had become too complicated to solve them. And uh, my child had some real health challenges 
challenges. He had food allergies and had, I mean, so many things. And we were on a very healing path. We went back to roots with food and nutrition. He was allergic to everything. And I really had to start and jump off the traditional path because the traditional path was give him medications. And I was like, why don't I take out the things he's allergic to? And instead of that and let him heal and recover. Um, Cause there were anyway, so I, we ended up doing that and um, he, it, he was super healthy, but fast forward to when he was two and a half, uh, he still had not, I'm going to put his business out there. He, he still had a health challenge. There we go. That I was like, this is ridiculous. And I told my doctor, I said, if this was your kid, we would not be having this conversation. You would be like nuts about this and you would resolve this. And they were giving me some solutions that were not, I knew we're not going to get the, the transformation my child deserved, right? Because bodies heal. We heal, right? And so I, I go to the park. I'm mad because I just told my doctor off and I go to the park and I complain to the ladies there and they send me to this. They say, go to this woman. And so unbeknownst to me, I'm like little square obsessive compulsion, compulsive Christian who is like, it's very, my own belief system really limited me. And had I known where they were sending me, I would never have gone. And I end up there and she's got this little metal machine and she says, okay, put them up here. And mind you, I'm in freeze. My eyes are saucers. I am like, my obsessive compulsive religious stuff is hammering me. I'm frozen. My kid's up there. I can't do a thing about it. The next thing you know, she's handing him these little glass vials and she's testing his electromagnetic resonance with, I don't know what was going on there. And by the time it's over, she said, okay, he had this and this and this. And I treated that electromagnetically. I think that's what she said. And don't give him any potatoes or corn and he should be fine. And I, my heart's pounding. I pick my kid up and I leave. And, you know, I see this little sign in there because I catch this. It says that our cells are communicating 10,000 times faster than they are electrically than they are chemically. And I walk out with that. I'm grabbing that in my mind somewhere. It can't land because I'm in a, I'm in panic. And I take my kid out and I start to kind of come out of survival mode and I'm walking home. And I was like, well, I paid a lot of money for that. Why don't I just not give him corn or potatoes? And the problem that he had was resolved in three days. Done. And so I was like, here I am. Like, she helped me. They didn't help me. She helped me. They didn't help me. You know, and I'm my brain is blown out open wide. And so I had other issues going on. So I was like, I guess I'll just go back to her for another round of something. She ended up handing me uh, the training DVD set because she was hearing about my mental challenges and because they were spraying out of my mouth everywhere I went, which they always do, whether we're consciously aware of that or not. And, um, but I was talking about what I was experiencing and she said, here, try this. It will change your life. And at that point, if she had told me to stand on my head, (laughs) I was going to do it. (laughs) And so I was in bed that night and I was, I was, had racing thoughts. I could not get to sleep. I, and I was just, if I don't get to sleep now, some kid's going to wake up and I don't know when you can't, I was, you know, leaving the stratosphere of in, in going into anxiety. And I was like, wait, what if I do that thing? And so I, I pulled it open and I, I tried, you know, I'm tapping on the points and it takes, you know, about 20 seconds to do emotional freedom techniques and all of a sudden, which is what she handed me. And all of a sudden I, I yawn and, and I, but I'm, I'm focused on this thing and I'm watching my thoughts and I do another round. I fall asleep. I wake up the next morning and I'm like, 
what else do I try this on? I hadn't slept in so long that I was just like, I need more of that in my life. And so I ended up trying it on anything and everything. It was like my little fun space. And then after I saw like, uh, hold up, I can like get rid of any symptom that comes up. I had, I found myself, I had, my OCD had me collecting jars. I didn't realize until I started using this intervention. I, this is crazy. (laughs) There is no reason for these jars right here, (laughs) except for fear. I was, it was a, it was an expression of my fear. I had been saving jars out of fear and it was, it was, that's what was under there. And then, so I, I resolved that. I got rid of the jars. I went to my, I saw the fear showing up in my closet. I could only have white hangers. <laughs> I, I have OCD. So this all made total sense to me. So that's what I, so I, I'm unpacking and I had, I had previously gotten uh, in that time, so I had gotten my a diagnosis of obsessive compulsive disorder. And in sessions, people and in, in, in evaluations, they can only catch so many things, right? And it, I was really misdiagnosed with, I mean, I was incompletely diagnosed. I really did have complex PTSD going on and of OCD, which was the root and OCD was, was coming from that. But I didn't know that then. So I just went after all my obsessive compulsive things. And I handed my obsessive compulsive disorder, the intervention. And I was like, go. And it was like, I don't mind if I do, you know, (laughs) it's the best gift my OCD ever gave me. And we cleaned up my life and I really cleared out the obsessive compulsive disorder that way. And I was and my husband uh, was going through uh, severe PTSD as well, because, you know, like attracts like, and we started using it for his stuff, which I was like, mm, that's bad stuff. I mean, I don't even know if somebody can heal from that, but I was like, Let's throw some of this on it. And he was healing. And next thing you know, we're healing. And oh gosh, that was so important because we had really, uh, we could not solve basic problems and ended up living with my mother because we could not solve basic problems. And, um, and we just sat there and we healed and we used these interventions. And I thought emotional freedom techniques was really just the best thing since sliced bread. And then it was like the intervention. And I thought, you know, if I ever went back to work, this is what I would do. And I did go back to work and this is what I started doing. And I really was like, can I help people how I help myself? And I really start started helping people resolve symptoms and we could resolve symptoms, but it seems like the brain would make more symptoms other places. Right. And so I was like, this is good because it's good to resolve a symptom when it's showing up and get yourself out of that. And then in the meanwhile, I'd learned other interventions. And so I really started saying that it's not about the intervention. It's about what the brain can do and the brain's can heal. And these interventions are helping the brain heal. And that just got me all kind of curious. And so then I had to go hang out with Dan Siegel and all the other interpersonal neurobiologists, and they are studying the brain and and functional MRIs and seeing what's lighting up during a traumatic episode or um, what's firing up when we're feeling good, what's firing up with a traumatic memory that has been resolved with an intervention like emotional freedom techniques, EMDR. And the brain is working very differently with resolved memories and with unresolved memories. And as a matter of fact, when we have, when we're in a survival state, our brain is, is it's not even, we're, we're, it's not the front of our brain is actually shut down and there's not as much activity up there or chemical or flow because the back of the brain, the survival system will really shut down and override the thinking center because you don't need to think when you're surviving. We have automatic responses for that. And so we really shift out of thinking mode into reaction mode. And then you add a disorder on there and you spend most of your time living from the back of the brain and your life looks like that. 
But if we can just shift you into the front of your brain, which we can, and we can do that repeatedly and over and over again and rehabilitate your brain to re-pattern itself to work from the front of the brain. And we can really, the life, your life will look like you're living from the front of the brain, which is the part of the brain that knows how to create solutions for thriving. It's the, it's the only part of the brain that knows how to thrive and create thriving for you. And it's, it's really wonderful because it's authenticated to you. And there's nobody on the earth that's designed to find you solutions that are perfect for you, except for your brain. And so we really want that nice and healthy and juicy up there running and fully juiced and um, not being overridden by the survival system. So I started learning all of this stuff. And so I was like, oh, this is why people are healing. And so I got rid of everything that was like traditional stuff and counseling and advising people. And I was because I find that if people's brain is functioning well, they don't need that much advice. Like their brain is like, oh, I know what we'll do. What they need is their brain to function in a healthy way, not in survival mode, but in health mode. And, and so I, in the beginning, I was just getting rid of symptoms. And then I was like, yeah, but their disorder is still here. So then I was trying to figure out how do we go from symptom work to healing a disorder and resolving a disorder. And just after practice that I was able to really start doing that. And then that would take it, according to my process and I, and my feel for things, it takes about 120 to 300 hours of specific and targeted brain work using my process to heal. And if we do this in weekly sessions, it takes like two to six years. And I was like, literally that sound. And I was like, that's just too long. I wonder if we can do this faster. And so I really started seeing if I could teach people the stuff so they could really help their brain where they needed it in their home, in their real life, where their brain would misfire and go to the back and see if I could teach them to bring their own brain to the front. You can. So I started doing that with them and we kind of divide the work and conquer. And so we could, and then now and that started shortening the length of their disorder. And the next thing you know, it's like, I really, my process now is really helps people resolve their disorder in two to six months, even if it's severe complex childhood trauma. And because we get that time frame in, in that time, not everybody wants that pace. That's not always the right pace for everybody, but for those people who want that pace and are ready for that, it's really a great fix fit for them. And then for other people, they can walk that. I have other people that will walk that path very slow much slower. And that's great because you can resolve massive disorders in a year, you know, in, in six, you know, so it's just unlimited. And the, so what, if it takes two years, it took me three, I was just wandering around and then, and to resolve one disorder. Right. And now it's like, we can, you know, because I understand more about what, how the brain heals itself, we can really, and they all have the same root, right. All of this, this stuck emotion, this unresolved all these unresolved issues that we're carrying around in our body, in our, in our subconscious, that our survival system is constantly reacting to whether we want it to or not. I have no idea where I was going. If you watch any of my videos, you see me do this at some point. <laughs> I totally lose my train of thought, but let's see if I can remember where I was. I mean, I love that you mentioned, you know, getting to the root. And I think with EFT, and maybe you can go into a little bit more of what that is. I'm familiar with EFT, but what I love about it is it allows the patient to kind of see why they're having the symptoms that they're having. And really it's such a beautiful thing when you see someone actually get to that root on their own and be like, wow, I've never made this connection. And I've been suffering from this symptom for so long. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I, I love EFT and I, and obviously EFT and I are like, (laughs) you know, I'm, I, I owe my, like, it's got like, it gets a trophy in my home. 
Uh, and it, what it does, and, and there, I teach people how to use, and I really work on matching the right intervention with the right mm. person in their survival, their survival system, their nervous system, their, their morals, their values, right? Because some of us, and it, every one of us are different, right? And so we want to find how to help the brain. And so I teach people how to use emotional freedom techniques, thoughtful therapy, energy medicine interventions, and thought-filled therapy. I'm no, and EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And so, and I'm working to match those ones. And so EFT is one of the easiest ones to learn. And I like to equip people with that first because it's easy. There are no known side effects and, and we can really hand over a really powerful intervention and start the work immediately. And we can start getting results in 10 minutes, you know, however long it takes to teach the whole thing. And I think that with, I really, there was a point there that I wanted to make with, with EFT. Oh, it works. Why, why it works. What I really uncovered and understood is that the, the most difficult part in healing for the brain is moving emotion. And if we think about emotion in its raw form, we're kind of talking about energy, chemicals, particles, atoms, like those sorts of things. And emotional energy can be registered by the brain as pain and what, or distressed. And whenever the survival system receives messages from within us and from our body specifically of pain, it jumps in and blocks the healing pathways and it jumps in and shifts us into fight, flight, freeze, faint, or fawn. It says we're in danger and it's not a thinking center. So it doesn't say, okay, this is dangerous. This is not, it doesn't think it just responds. And we want it to do that. We just want it to do that accurately. And so, so, but a lot of times it's inaccurate because emotions are not going to kill us, but they are bring up so much pain that the survival system believes that it is, and it will block them from coming up and they will actually not get through the pathway, the process for healing. And so they won't go through that. The, the emotion, our brain converts that into a usable form and really starts understanding it. And it has all this data and information in it that has to be understood by the front of the brain. And, and so, but the part that it really gets blocked in is that survival system piece. And so when we can interact specifically with the survival system, we're really engaging it in its own language, kind of pulling it out of the way, comforting it and say, Hey, you don't need to react right now. We're good. And it's picking that message up and it's listening and responding. And then the rest of the brain can go do that work and grab that emotion through and move it through. And a lot of times the it also helps with desensitizing the emotion, which is nice, you know, because just like we go to a dentist and we don't want them yanking our tooth out without some anesthesia involved, some numbing stuff. We, that's how these emotions can be as well. Like they're just too much to pass in that form. And when we use an intervention like emotional freedom techniques or energy medicine or EMDR, where we're really bringing down the intensity or our experience of the intensity of the emotion so that it can move through without alerting the survival system to danger and stopping the whole process. And what's bad about stopping the whole process is that we need that stuff for our growth and our thinking center will never let it go. Our healer, inner healer in there, I'm sure it sits right, right in our, the front of our brain somewhere. They know what we need to reach our goals. And they're like, I know you want to do that, but I need that first. And they sit and on repeat, go after that stuff over and over again for a lifetime. And every time they go back there and try to pick stuff up and bring it through, your survival system jumps up and, and hammers it back down. And that can happen hundreds of times a day. And so if we can get that stuff through your, your thinking center is done with it. You know, it's just like the human digestive tract. It's like, you don't eat the same food twice. 
You don't. You make sure it gets all the way through the process and then you're just done with it. You're no longer attracted to it (laughs) for the most part. And the same way with these thoughts, it's that, you know, these memories, once we get them through the process, we're not, we're no longer, uh, the brain releases a lot of the stuff that's unnecessary and then it integrates it into our whole neural network, which is wonderful because you can use your whole self for it instead of what happens back there, which I'm not going to get into right now because I will go full nerd on you. And we're just, we're no longer attracted to it the same way. It's no longer flashing, a flashback. It's now in a different form. It's no longer something that we have to go back and relive the pain over, over and over again. No, the brain got the pain out already. It used the pain for your next growth and expansion. It converted that into a different form. And so it's really powerful and transformational to be able to help the brain do this work that it does and to intervene with just a very 30 second intervention or a two minute intervention is just is life changing when we're talking about things that can repeat for decades. Yeah. And if you look at a lot of, you know, people who have suffered from chronic diseases, there's always some sort of, and that's not to say that it's the cause of, but there is often an emotion that's been suppressed that keeps showing up. And I think that's a huge component, you know, we talk a lot about anxiety, depression, a lot of mental health disorders, but I think even with chronic disorders, you can't just heal the physical body. You have to look at the emotional, spiritual body as well. Yes. There, there's more research supporting that. We've got uh, Kaiser Permanente did the biggest study. I I hope the acronyms come up into my awareness so I can share those with you. Oh, the ACEs study, the adverse childhood experiences study, and they researched and gathered data about their patients and um, the people that scored the highest with except like lots of traumas, especially in early childhood, were more likely to die of the big five illnesses. So there is a major correlation between this unresolved emotional distress and the other the illnesses. But what, what happens is that um, one of the biggest evidences of that is that when you're in a survival state, you're not, your digestive system is shut off and, and your, your, your relaxation is shut off and your healing stuff is shut off. And so things that could be doing great work are now not because your brain thinks that the priority is survival right now. Mm-hmm. And so the more time we're spending in survival mode, the, the less time we're doing detoxification and integration and building and over decades that adds up and, and let's, and then we could talk about how, you know, the, our brain literally changes and our vagal tone changes. And, and what's really wonderful is what we're seeing is that with proper treatment, these things can be restored. We can actually by healing the body and, and meeting the unmet childhood needs, we can actually change how the vagal tone is and myelination and, and telomerase. I mean, our, how our, our protein, I don't, I'm, I'm not in, I'm not anatomy at all, but uh, I pick up the words, but it's an enzyme or something like that. Anyway, that has to do with regeneration and our youthfulness of our cells on a cellular level. So there's there, I think what we will find in the future is that emotional, processes and emotions as a, as an energy source, it really does elevate in importance in how we treat that. And that we do want it, that this we backups in our system is bad mm-hmm. for us, for our physical health. And if we get backed up emotionally, it does create problems for us physically. And it may actually be one of the root causes of most of the illnesses that we're seeing today. Absolutely. There's a, you were talking about crying and there's a quote that I love the organs weep tears that the eyes refuse Mm -hmm. to shed. 
Wow. Yeah. And it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I need to and learn how to cry. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. Therapeutic. I said, I need to learn how to cry because I feel like it's so therapeutic and beneficial, yes. but something I need to learn now with this technique, what conditions predominantly do you find it to be most useful for? Because typically when it comes to mental health, we find people, you know, look for treatment when they're going through something pretty extreme. I actually saw a post the other day that said that children nowadays, just because of, you know, news and social media are under the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient, I think like 40 years ago. So clearly we all need to work on our mental health, even if we don't feel that we have a specific disorder, but specifically with this type of technique, what conditions do you find it most used for? Yeah. Well, I think that prevention is like, can we all do that? I mean, can we, I, I mean, it's just like, why do we want to wait till some of these things become so, so severe that we we're there? And I, I really hope that as, as this information gets out there and that doctors are talking about this, right? Because they have so much influence right now that they're getting this research that is out there in all the, the, the journals that they really start passing this on because we really, it doesn't have to be this big. It really can be something as small as, Oh, I don't want to go do have that conversation with that person. Oh, no, I'm not doing my mail. I'm not checking my mail today. It can literally be that, that small. It can be as small as laying in bed and your, your thoughts racing, or you're, you're reviewing your day and you're integrating some tapping in there. That's, it can be, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we don't reach goals is the brain gets stuck on areas that it's trying to build function in. And right. If we're, if we're not reaching a goal, let's jump in there and help our brain. It will it usually it's an emotion and that's trying, that needs to move through. That's not, that's having some the stuff for whatever reason, survival system won't let it through. And so really we can get that out of the way. And then all of a sudden, the brain's going, going again. I think that that's really a wonderful way to integrate this, but I think what panic disorder, this is wonderful for panic disorder. I mean, it's one of my favorite disorders to play with and and resolve because it, it, really resolves very, very well. Phobias, anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, um, social anxiety disorder, eating disorders. And when we start combining it on behavioral disorders like alcohol and things like that, this, this work and these interventions are wonderful for root causes of that. And I think some of these other professions are really great at the behavioral level of that And they've really rocked that, knocked that out of the park. And so, but without proper brain function and healing, and it's like, it's like the, the past unresolved wounds. Like if you're going to take the shingles off of a house, right? This is how I imagine it. You, you've got the little shingle there, but the nails are holding it down in the four corners. And those nails are like trauma. And they're like, and when I say trauma, I mean, unresolved painful memories. And that can be something little as you were in class and you're reaching up and your, your shirt came up and some girls laughed at your belly. Uh, that can be you're cornered in a room with bullies. You know, it can be anything that your brain decides it's overwhelmed by and it cannot function. So I'm never judging someone's trauma. I've done this work enough to know that things that we would normally overlook have caused whole disorders. Right. And I, and vice versa. So I, so I'm going to just jump back and we'll see what happens with that. And I'm going to hook my brain up here. I will have all these interventions. And if I see myself doing some things, I just throw a little brain support on, but it's good that you could recognize that and switch it on. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just my brain doing my brain, but like three times I'm, I'm, 
spacing out, not spacing out. I'm losing my train. Okay. We're just going to give a little support. You're just passionate. I love it. Yeah, for sure. It, you know, it's so obvious. So, <laughs> but I love that you mentioned like, you know, every trauma for someone can be different because I think sometimes it can be, especially depending on like how you grow up. I think a lot of times these traumas can, or I don't want to say it in quotes, but they can be minimized by others where they're like, how is that a traumatic experience for you that, you know, someone laughed at you, but the way someone, it's the way someone responds, right? It's like, you look at any condition, it's how your body responds to that threat. So that's right. right. And there, we bring so much into it. You know, like if you're, you know, run into some bleachers, some people have a bruise and some people have broken bones, right? You know, and we don't say, oh, you should have broke a bone over that. And so we just respect the fact that the bone is broken. Let's repair the bone. And and that's really what it comes down to emotionally is, is that there's, there's an emotional wound here and it doesn't, doesn't matter how or why. And it doesn't mean anything about you're not good enough or something's wrong with you. It just means that this, this was yours. This one, this one caused a wound and let's repair it. And it really is that, that simple and the brain heals so much faster and better than a broken, than bones than the body, because it's highly electrical. And so everything's moving at electric speed when it can. And so, and these interventions really help the brain restore that, that speed and that, that healing capability that's natural to it. You know, we don't, we're not even speeding anything up. We're just helping it get to its own natural rhythm. You know, so, but I was saying that these, that PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, emotional freedom techniques is wonderful for that. Any EMDR can be, sometimes EMDR is really too intense for people and it can really re-traumatize them and and destabilize them and really knock them backwards in their healing work. And so I really train, I train people on that in a different way than I do like EFT. I'm like, and, and thought-filled therapy. I'm like, here, have this in the beginning. And, but EMDR, I'm, I'm, I'm much slower with, but I do, I know that my people get to a point where they can use it or try it and, and they have all the other skills to fall back on, but, but post-traumatic stress disorder, I depression, um, this is wonderful for depression. Depression is uh, depression, anxiety are so the same. And there's, they're, they're just different reasons why the brain is putting, going into depression mode and numbness. And, and usually that means that there's, there's just so much pain involved. When people tell me they're depressed, I'm hearing from them. You're, you're, there's, there's a lot of pain coming through your nervous system. That's not making it through the healing process, you know? So I, I'm, I'm with them. It's, it's just, we're going on a pain hunt and we're going to spray it down with some interventions and some healing potion. I don't know what's in there, (laughs) whatever the brain's going to secrete and do there. Just really get that stuff in a form that can make it through the healing pathways because anything that can get through your brain can do what it does with it. And it's really, really powerful. So those are some, some basic conditions, but I, I believe in every condition, these things are beneficial for. I've had people with, with chronic pains that we work on a memory and the pain's gone. And then they're like, it's not there. I'm like, let's see how it goes. Let's watch it for a week and let me know. And they're like, no, it's gone. And it totally was, it was a somatic feature. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was emotional distress in their body. And I think of everything being either emotional, having, having, not either having some component of an emotional component or, or emotional expression or physical expression, mental expression, energetic expression, and possibly even spiritual expression. 
you know, as we get in there and define that and understand what that means, or maybe we never do, you know, and it's just a thing. And so if we can impact any layer of something that's showing up, we can usually create some change and some healing, if not resolve the whole thing. And so even with physical stuff, sometimes it's easier to approach the emotional, mental, and energetic pieces and spiritual pieces than it is to approach the physical. And so it's, we want to do that work. And especially because we've taken the nails off of that, that roof shingle and it's the shingle will just come right off, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to being nailed down and nailed in there. Definitely. So, yeah. I don't see where it doesn't work, but I'm behind. Sure, no, that's good to hear. Cause I feel like, you know, when it comes to mental health and a lot of disorders, people like some hope and they feel like they might never yes. fully get over this. And so it's nice to know that there's a technique that's accessible and that people could really do overcome these issues. Now, I feel like just in conversation, I hear so many people nowadays suffer from, you know, anxiety, depression, things we didn't really hear about, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I'm sure a part of that is that over time, these issues have been destigmatized. So people feel more, more comfortable sharing and opening up about this. But I think, you know, on the other side of it, the rates of these disorders are actually increasing due to societal factors. I mean, I'm sure yeah, over the last year and a half, given, you know, the global issue of faith, that's added to it as well. So I wanted to find out from you directly, you know, do you see a lot of increased rates when it comes to depression, anxiety, PTSD, and what do you think are the main contributing factors to the rise in all these disorders? I I'm not certain about that. I reflect on that myself because there's a couple of things, for instance, when we're, when we're more in a relaxed state, your inner healer has more ability to go in. It's more active. Your prefrontal cortex is more, is more available and active when you're in a relaxed state. And what that means is that your inner healer can go say, okay, let me go find those problems and resolve them. Right. And so once it goes to do that, it's starting the healing process. And so, but once it goes back there, the healing process can get shut down. Right. And so, and if, and then what you experience is the incomplete healing process where these symptoms of anxiety, depression, traumatic stress are just flooding in your face every time your healer is trying to heal. So your brain's trying to do its natural healing function. That function is blocked. Then you feel that and then repeat. And then, so what we, what we're learning is my healer, my healing process doesn't work. And so, and what we're learning in that moment also is when I'm still this was really painful. When I start relaxing, this is painful. Pain happens. And so your survival system learns that being relaxed is, will start this whole painful nonsense process. And so then it will start routing you around relaxing, doing healing functions. And so as long as our, we, our brain believes, and we experience that healing process as blocked and problem causing, because it is, we're avoiding, I mean, we're, we're experiencing lots of stuff. So we learn, don't be still, don't stop, keep moving. And then you throw a pandemic on it and you're staying at home and there's less stimulation and there's less people to interact with. And there's less distraction. You can't just go shopping and do your retail therapy that you do. You're actually just kind of stuck in with your brain, having more options to go digging through your stuff to do its healing function, which is really wonderful and powerful and is really painful to many, many people and to all of us. And so it's, so 
in in one sense, I think the the rise right now in people talking about anxiety, depression, and traumatic stress is is very valid and real because most of our coping strategies are not available to us. And that is, it's like not, it's like somebody having intense pain in their like lower back and not being able to get access to their pain medication. Right. And that's how we're expecting people to live. And high rates of, of physical pain is strongly correlated with suicidality. The emotional pain is no different. When the, there's more emotional pain, we have more suicidality. The brain, the brain is looking deeper and stronger into ways of getting out of pain because that's one of its jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we have all these things coming out. And so we're going to, the brain is smart. It'll use um, numbing strategies and, and it doesn't just numb the pain. It numbs everything. And then you've got, you know, and so there's, there's so many, there's, there's so much going on with why we have symptoms. We're, we're not supposed to like our brain is really supposed to help us out with here, but we don't, we're, we're using the wrong strategies. Most people are using positivity and they're like, which they're using their thinking center. They're using positive affirmations, positive affirmations. When your, your healing process is broken and impaired, are this powerful brain work, your brain cannot complete. And you are, you're pushing your brain to do something it wants to do for you. And it will, it will start it immediately as soon as you start affirmations, but it, you, you're high, you're bringing more stuff up that can't get through. And there's more and more pressure here. And then there's more and more numbing. And then there's more and more distraction because you have to get out of that. And it's like, if you don't know how to do this piece and get that door open so that this stuff actually gets through, you can really harm yourself and set yourself up for major distress and possibly suicidal thoughts or suicide. So this is, I don't think that, I think that that our lack of understanding about how to work with our brain and our emotions, like there are many societal factors that teach us to suppress. I mean, we're like good and they teach us to use the wrong parts of our brain for the wrong things. And we don't really have, and, and not only that, but back in our tribal cultures, Okay. Let me say this. You have to move emotion. You, you have to engage the body because the survival system is listening to the body. It, that's its native language. Body sensations are totally the native language of the survival system. And the survival system interprets specific behaviors with we're safe. And once the survival system says we're safe, it allows healing to happen. Says, okay, go ahead. Right. But since we're not engaging our bodies in the same ways, like tribally, we used to be, you know, listening to drums and dancing around the fire and patting our neighbor and wrestling on the floor. And we used to be telling stories, right, of victory and triumph. And we used to be doing this stuff together that was actually keeping us emotionally well right? Helping us to unpack traumas and helping our, our survival system move things. And we, we very isolated right now. We're not doing bonfires and, you know, we're not doing the stuff that's natural to us and perhaps that's okay, but we need to account for that, you know? Yeah. And, and, and let me tell you, the body is listening and help. I mean, it can, there's, there's some, there's some benefit to brain function wise to alcohol and to marijuana and to shopping and to all, all these things, but they all have those negative side effects that come with them. Mm-hmm. You know, even crying. I mean, it, that's a lot of crying to resolve a disorder. And so some of these interventions like emotional freedom techniques, and like we've been mentioning and thought felt therapy and EMDR are really helpful substitutes to get the brain to restore that, but we still need to build in emotional awareness and emotional processing and tribal stuff and connection. There's stuff that we can't get outside of connection. And so 
Yeah, it's, I think that we're in a place right now that's really painful and we don't quite have the right supports available. And it's hard because there's so much healing potential. Yeah. You know, brains heal so fast that it's really hard to watch this, but I also know that it makes the solution all that much more tangible, you know, for me, I mean, it got very bad for me before I found an intervention and then boy, I'm going to take that intervention away from me. I'm hugging it. And like, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, you don't have to convince me to do my inner work. Those people back there in the back of my brain have ganged up on on me and taken me over. And like, I like them, everybody to be happy (laughs) in my inner world. And I will do the time to do that. So I'm hoping that this crisis really elevates emotional wellness and intelligence and integration into our schools. I'm hoping my, my vision, my what I'm really passionate about is that we're doing our trauma, anxiety, and depression work at our tables with our children. Children, these interventions work beautifully with our kids and our kids are getting our nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm mostly focused on parents because I know that if I'm, if the parent is healing, kid is healing, period. Yeah. It's a, there are definitely rises right now and we're talking about it. And, you know, I had, I have this client who's hilarious and he came to me at the end of his, um, he just had the end of his work that he needed to do. And he was like, is this anxiety? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's what's up. And so he comes back the week later. He's like, he used some cuss words. He's like, beep, 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 beep. They, I was telling them about this anxiety. They're like, oh yeah, I know. And they're like, they had this the whole time. They never told me. I've been doing this for years. Nobody ever said that's anxiety. They could have said something. Which, you know, he and I laughed because we don't know if he would have believed them, <laughs> number yeah. one. You know, he really had to come face to face with it and experience it himself. But it's it's the truth. Like, we're not talking about anxiety. And it's just now starting to be something safe to talk about. But it's natural to our brains. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to ask you, because I feel like the word anxiety is thrown around a lot nowadays. Not to say that what's anxiety causing for one person isn't for someone else, but even with depression. You know, you hear a lot of people say, and sometimes I'm sure that there's like a genuine clinical reason for that depression. And another time it might just be because someone had an off day or something happened that was unpleasant. So how do we evaluate whether the experiences that we're having are starting at clinical level, or if it's something that's a little bit more surface level and hasn't really gotten there yet? Not saying that we shouldn't put in the work, even if it's something surface. Right. Because preventative health is everything. I just think it'd be helpful for us to all be able to realize and evaluate whether what we're going through is getting to that clinical point where we really right. need to, to give it the attention it deserves. Right. Well, the, the, it, as far as like the diagnostic, the manual, what the, you, these symptoms are here, right. And these symptoms are natural to us and it's really about frequency, but it really comes to, is it impairing our function? Right. Because it's one thing to be anxious before you go on to public speaking. Right. And it's another thing to be so anxious that you actually can't do it and you cancel. Right. It's one thing to feel some irritability with your child. Right. That would be natural. It's our body is giving us feedback, something about this is bothering me. And it's another thing to feel irritable and scream at the child all the way down and not, not fulfill your ideal and what your child needs. Right. So, and I think with things like depression, you know, it's one thing to sleep eight, nine hours, and it's another thing to be falling asleep in the middle of the day, to be sleeping excessively 14 hours and 
you're not able to go to work, you're not able to to take a shower, take care of your physical health, those sorts of things. That's really where that line is. And understand with people falling asleep, that is a survival state of faint for fight, flight, freeze, faint, or fawn. So sometimes our brain is putting us to sleep to avoid pain and to get out of pain. And so many people think that they're just lazy or, and they're being told they're just lazy, but actually their brain has said, no, you're done and press the button and to sleep they go. And that's so easily resolvable, which is such a shock and surprise to me as I've done this work. Cause I'm like, you know, I'm going to bring the big hammer for this, whatever that big hammer is. But it's like, it's, it's, it's just this very simple survival state. That's usually resolvable, but quickly. And yeah, it's, it's just kind of just not mind blowing how that works. So I've done it again. <laughs> That's okay. I actually have a question for you, Rachel, because I know you spoke a little bit about positive affirmations and I'm actually really curious. Cause I know, you know, like, I think it's good to tell your, I think the way that we speak to ourselves is really important, but obviously if you're feeling symptoms of anxiety, you don't want to tell yourself, you know, that you're not, and then suppress those emotions. So how do we, I'm just curious, like in terms of self-care, how do we kind of pump ourselves up and make ourselves feel good and speak well to ourselves, but still address the things that we may be suppressing? Yes. You know, there, there's a couple honesty is the best policy Mm. and the truth will set you free right now. Sometimes our truth is too painful to look at and too painful to express. And that's really where the challenges come. And that's really why that's a really great place to use an intervention. And so the truth of a situation might be, I am terrified. And so let's use an intervention with that right now. You know, the truth might be, I hate his effing guts. Okay, good. Let's use an intervention with that right now. Because what, if that's the truth, let's, it's not going anywhere. So let's pick it up and make sure it gets through the healing pathways. Mm-hmm. Let's get it to the part of your brain where your brain actually knows what to do with this. If it doesn't come to the front, to the back, from the back to the front, it stays back there and fuels stuff. So the next thing you know, you're behaving in very hateful ways, right? right. And, and very kind of animal, like passive aggressive and passive and manipulative and, and aggressive ways because you're fueling the animal part of the brain. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can get that to the front, now it's in your analytical brain. It's looking at your morals, your values. It's figuring out how to work all of this together. So it's just right for us. And then next thing you know, you're able to do the thing, you know, and with whatever this person is, see what happens then is that you're able to see the next layers of your truth. And there are always multiple truths in there. Right. And so mm-hmm. then your truth might be, well, actually, I just hate it when they do this. Right. You know, and then let's grab that and pull it through. And then we're also noticing that you have a lot of contempt in there. Hmm, while we're back there pulling contempt through, what else do you have? <laughs> Where's that coming from? Right. And we can pull that through. And then it's just, it just lightens the load. Right. We don't want contempt. Hang these things. We have contempt. Mm-hmm. But when we're not allowed to have contempt, when we're not allowed to be hateful, when we're not allowed to own our truth, and the truth is we feel all the things. Oh, no, no, you're only allowed to honor the good truths. You want everybody to get along and, you know, and Mm -hmm. tomorrow will be a better day. And this too shall pass. Those are truths, but they're not going to be very helpful to the back of your brain that's throwing a whole fit. Right. Right. And in our culture, and we don't value fits. Fits are very healing. You Mm -hmm. watch a child throw a fit, they're done. They move on. They're back to playing. Right. 
but it's when we get in there as parents and say, oh, you can't throw a fit here because, you know, and we interrupt the fit cycle or we correct it and change its course and change focus on it. And then it's blocked. And now the kid's blocked with all this emotional distress and now there's nowhere to go. And so they don't learn how to throw a fit well, which is what one thing we actually want people to do. We want people to throw fit well. And what happens is that the fit, if left, if supported well, which means held space for it looks like you're really angry, maybe give them some words, you know, it starts maturing to age appropriate fit throwing, mm-hmm. which could just be, I'm angry. Right. You know, and very effective because the brain doesn't like to be ineffective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a 20 year old's not going to feel very fantastic about throwing a whole fit on the floor about you took my toy. We're going to evolve it. So but we don't have a lot of trust in these emotional processes. So we're constantly interrupting them, you know? So if you could take me back to where we were, I'm just going to go with that. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that's super, super interesting. And so I was going to ask you if somebody, let's say, grew up in a household where, you know, they were condemned for throwing a fit or for raising their voice or expressing themselves. And now they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, maybe even later in life. And they struggle with that. You know, they yes. might feel a certain urge and they hold it back. That's Where right. would be the best places for them to start? Like, what would be your three tips for somebody in that kind of a situation to start to sort of open up and release that sort of emotion right. in a safe way? Yeah, yeah, and 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 effective. We want you to be effective because you guess what? If that emotion that you're throwing a fit about doesn't get through the healing pathways into the front of the brain, you're going to have to throw that fit again and again and again and again. And so, and that's we annoy ourselves and each other with that stuff. And so, really, the first tip is get an intervention period. The second tip is I throw my fits in on paper. I teach strategies for fit throwing. And you basically you're throwing a fit well, and you're crying well, this is tips on how to cry too, is if you can observe yourself, if you can be one foot in the fit throwing and one foot observing yourself, you are in the healing stance. And right here, you can use an intervention while you throw the whole fit. And so that's, so that my first tip is get an intervention to get in the healing stance, be aware and be in or be out and be, you know, you can do a lot of work while dissociated. Like, you know, sometimes people have dissociation where they're dissociated from their body or they're dissociated from experience. And, you know, that's, it's, it's an okay place to do healing work. And if you're there, we still want to do healing work so that we can get you back into one foot observing and one foot in life. Right. So wherever you're at, you got those two things and then find a safe place. Some people are verbal fit throwers and they will need to rant. And so go to your car and rant. I like people to not have anybody else involved because sometimes we can put our emotion off on somebody else and it actually helps our brain feel better, but it doesn't, it doesn't loop back. We want the loop to be within ourselves so that our brain learns how to do each part of the process. And learn like not just the feeling part, but the the analyzing and the the solution creation. And we want that loop to be uninterrupted. In the beginning, that might not be okay. You might have a friend say, "Hey, I need to vent, and I'm going to tap at the same time because I got some stuff to move through." And you sit with them, and maybe you have them ask you some questions, and then you just let yourself get all mad and throw a whole fit and say all the things you're not supposed to say, and you do your intervention at the same time, right? Or maybe you're in a journal. Some people will write that stuff out. Some people need to take some clay and use an intervention at the same time. It's kind of messy. I have strategies for that. Um, There's an alternative use of EMDR that's really great for this. Some people need to paint, draw pictures. Some people need to make up stories. Some people do this in their dreams, right? We just want to apply an intervention wherever that's 
going on. What, what happens is the first time somebody does a fit while using intervention, help supporting their brain through the emotion work is that they feel really uncomfortable, right? And they feel like they're out of bounds and like they can probably even feel the people, the naysayers right here saying, don't you're doing the wrong thing, you know? And as we're helping the brain through all of that stuff, which is processing all of that, the next thing that happens is they start to see their problems more clearly because we don't have problems with our problems. We have problems with how we feel about our problems. Brains solve problems perfectly well. If it can get through the emotions of how we feel about the problems, it's off and running, right? So all of a sudden they get up here in the front and they can see their problems more clearly. And then all of a sudden they're noticed different perspectives showing up that they've never had before, but they wanted to have. And then the next thing they know, they're seeing some solutions come out and those solutions might be half-baked because there's still more work to do, but it's like, hmm, the wheels are turning now. And so then they can make the association. And this is important that their brain makes the association between solutions and feeling better and throwing a whole fit. Right. And so, and then it's like, it becomes okay. It becomes more okay to do that and more okay to do that. And in giving myself permission for that, I threw a fit for probably two years. And I was like, and I, and as I'm writing in my journal and I'm throwing a fit, I'm like, really all these fits, are you serious? And myself like, yes, keep writing. And so, uh, you know, and as I did that, I just would go with it. I'm just trusting, I'm trusting, I'm trusting. And the next thing I know, my fits are shorter. And then my fits are more spread apart. And then, I, I mean, at this point, and I, I don't even throw fits the same way. And at this point, I think that we humans require a certain number of fit throwing hours in, as part of healthy development. I'd love to research that. <laughs> but, right? And, yeah. and in many of us, in my case, I, I grew up as the, the caretaker in my family that was stabilizing my mother with a mental illness. And I needed to be the happy one, the strong one, and not the fit thrower. And so and I suppressed all the fits so I could do what I need to do to be safe and well and connect. And so I chose that over my own development. And so then as I get older, I have no wiring. I have no process. I have no neural pathways for healthy, my, moving my own emotions, you know? So it's just, it's, it's, I, I think we've got to do it. And I think we've got to find ways to do it and allow ourselves to do that and get creative, you know, cause there's no, there's no right way. There's no, there's no limit. And I bet you there's probably as many people as there are on the earth as ways we could do this. So, yeah. No, I think that's great that you mentioned that. I think a lot of times people feel the need to suppress their emotions or put on a brave face. And I think, you know, allowing people to sort of just let go and release whatever needs to be released could be super healing. Especially um, men too, because I think it's really stigmatized very. for men to be able to, sh- like if a man says I have anxiety, he thinks he's less of a man is what society tells, tells us, yeah, you know? That's right. hundred percent. Exactly. And we tell our boys, don't cry. Mm-hmm. Don't cry. Yeah. I mean, I still hear people say that, you know, we're separating them from their natural healing process. Yep. We're saying don't heal. That's literally what we're saying. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, or I'm going to ridicule you while you're healing yourself. Yeah. We see that all the time. Or, you know what? You go in your room while you're hearing you're healing yourself. I don't do that stuff with you. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Right. I mean, and, and I, and I, I am horrified by that. But I, I have compassion for this, that this is what we've been passing down. We actually think we're helping each other. Yeah. This way. 
And I think it's so important why all this new brain research is out here and what we're learning so that we can really correct some of our errors because it, you know, you can tell the, the tree by its fruit and our fruit has room for correction. We, we really are seeing some big evidences that we are off and that we've, we've got some things wrong. And so we have, we, I think it's, 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 it's a time when I think people are really going to be listening to let's get some of these things corrected. And if we can just get crying back, holy cow, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe 100%. we need offices with crying rooms in them. You know, <laughs> We do. <Yeah. laughs> That's a good point. Now, in addition to crying and, you know, throwing fits and working with all these different therapies that we discussed today, are there any other modalities that you found helpful? I mean, meditation has become super popular. Um, there's been a lot of studies done on certain foods and supplements that could help with brain health. Yes. Oh, are there yes. any at home remedies that you found, you know, in addition to all of the, the therapies and the work that somebody would do to work through these emotional things? Yeah. Are there other things you recommend? There's, there's some things that are very natural to us, like walking, it's bilateral stimulation, it's EMDR. Every walking session you're doing or running, you're doing an EMDR session on yourself. That stuff's really important. Anything that, anything like that. You know, meditation is incredibly powerful and it it sits right on the relaxation point where you open your mind and let your brain do things. That is really bad for some people. It is really impossible and impossible for them to do without creating more damage to themselves. So I, I want, but what happens if we do our emotional work and we, we need to rehab this process. We need to have our brain learn that emotions are actually our friend and we, we can handle this and it needs enough practice with that. And then what happens is that process really is supposed to be working on its own. It should not need us to walk it through every piece of its step. And so really, as we rehabilitate this and we get things moving, it really opens the door for meditation. It opens the door for meditation to be something that's safe. And that's actually alluring, especially because to do this, you have to reconnect to your inner world. You have to learn what your stomach is saying or that your stomach is even speaking to you right now. You have to learn that why, you know, there's so many things in order to get this thing rehab that you have to learn about yourself. And then when you're sitting in meditation and you're doing that relaxing thing, and if your brain wants to get up and go grab some stuff, you know, you know how to quickly help it or really, or just allow that to happen. And, uh, without it setting you back, without it causing that, you know, that the door breaking symptom flying out thing, most people are avoiding meditation for very important reasons that are really, really valid. And if we can validate them and treat them in a, in, in a way that's helpful for that person, they can really start meditating powerfully, which I think is, you know, I personally could not meditate. I couldn't sit still long enough to meditate because of this particular thing. I find meditation fascinating. And also we heavily rely on our thinking center when, because most of, if you've got an anxiety, depression, or trauma disorder, because the rest of the part of the brain is not working with us. It's going off doing its own thing. We can't control it. We don't know how to interact with it. The only thing we can work with is our thinking center. And so we really do that. And, but it's like trying to play basketball with a team of one instead of five. And you're playing against a whole other team of five and you're going against with one part of you. And so we really want to bring the whole brain together to be going after, to be able to, to do its best work. And, and, and that's what I want to say. And what happens when we use our thinking center too much or out of balance is that we, the subconscious mind is so powerful. It's so unlimited. And uh, if we can learn how to put pause, like to, 
you know, pass the ball to your subconscious, let the subconscious do a little something, you know, okay, wait, hold up, pass the ball to your body. Let's let the body do its wisdom. And then let's let, you know, and if we can pass the ball around and get all these players involved, we have access to so much more than we have with our thinking center, because it's very limited. It only does a certain thing. You're, I mean, your subconscious is like creative and vast and doesn't understand the rules of society and life. So you'll get solutions that are out of this world as far as I'm concerned. And so we really, we want to open those things. And so meditation is, can be really fabulous when it can be, and it can be a really big victory for those of us who've never been able to do it before. I, mindfulness is, is a really wonderful practice. It really helps with, I like to combine mind. I like to combine mindfulness with interventions, especially for people with anxiety, depression, traumatic stress, because I don't trust that that process is fully functional. And I want to give it crutches really mm-hmm. and make sure it's getting the support it needs. And pretty soon it will say, I don't need these crutches. I got this. And then you're like, okay, you know, <laughs> what do you think of like positive visualizations? You know, people, um, that, kind of like that's the visualize. same, that's the same thing as positive affirmations. It's very powerful brain work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you're you're speaking directly with your subconscious mind and informing it of what you want it to do. And it's all like, yes let's do it. And it starts working immediately. But what, in order to come into full alignment with the visualization, it has to, it has, it runs into all the reasons it's not in alignment now Mm -hmm. and it needs that resolved and it's not a resolving center. And so it has to move to the part of the brain that is a resolving center, which is the front of the brain. And it comes into your awareness. And so these old beliefs about you're not that you're never going to be that. Maybe somebody said that start coming up in your awareness and then you feel attacked you know? And so, and then you feel all the emotional pain with that. And then you, your brain learns that this visualization is associated with pain. And so then it starts moving it. So you don't do that visualization anymore. And so really we want to have people have the skills to help their subconscious mind deliver that information and then get that information processed. And then the, and then this positive visualization will, it, you, you want to bring it back in, but there's a right pace for that. And for each person, some people may not have a lot of junk in the way of the affirmation or visualization they're creating. So they won't notice any pain. They won't notice any distraction, avoidance, those sorts of things that indicate pain is in there. Other people have a ton. They even just look at a positive affirmation and their body just lights up. And then they're like, no way. That's a sign that that, that right there can help you release a lot of garbage. And we need to take it real slow. And so I really, when I teach people how to do work with positive affirmations and positive visualizations, I save that to week four of my program because there's so many others, there's more skills you need before then, because once your subconscious mind starts dumping stuff, you really want to have the skills to take that thing and move it through. And you need to be, have enough. I have people do this work two hours per day. And, and so by the time they get to week four, they've done what seven times four by that 28 hours. Yeah. A lot of hours. 28. Yeah. No, actually more than 28 hours. Anyway. No, Cause that's 28 per week, right? Yeah, 28 a no, week. It's, 20, it's 14 a week, 28, 14 hours, oh, per 14 week. a week. And then for a month, you said for a month, so 14 20. times four. 56. <laughs> there we go. I won. <laughs> I needed to use my phone <laughs> to decide that part of the brain. It's not like to come out during these talks. Um, yeah. So there's, and that creates so much that the work is really, we're connecting the brain and we're, we're breaking up negative associations like uh, panic and car rides, right? So we're, we're getting in there and, and just breaking those so that the car rides are not associated with panic. 
so, and there's so much practice that someone gets there that by the time we're ready for that, they can work through multiple things and pace it, right? So they know how to pace things coming up. There's lots of things we need in place for that. So I absolutely use positive affirmations and visualizations and, but there's a whole process that goes with it because you have to support the whole process to get the function. That makes sense. Cause I mean, I know people who, you know, will try positive affirmations and visualizations, which is great because they're, you know, focusing on self-love and putting the time into that sort of, you know, some of the underlying misery or challenges that there. Yeah. So you're sort of just temporarily masking it, but you're not really accomplishing anything. I That's like the fact that you mentioned that you have to do that inner work first before you yeah. could fully utilize the benefits of positive affirmations. And like an onion. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes going with the negative is really powerful because mm-hmm. maybe you, this, I complete the affirmations. I completely love and honor myself, but the inner self is like, no, you don't, you know? And sometimes it's like, okay, let me go. Okay. I want to do this one, but let's go over here and do yeah. truth and, and move all of that through. And then today. my sister and I spoke about that today, because again, mm-hmm. I try to be positive and I try to be optimistic. And, you know, I find a lot of benefit in that. But like, if, if you're going through a challenge, if something comes up and you feel negative, you yes. have to allow yourself to feel negative. If you just like, no, I'm good. Everything's great. But deep down, you know, it's not. What benefit is that serving you? You know, it really is. Yourself. Yeah. And yourself knows who is your, who are yourself, who are you right? Yeah. That's why you have to let yourself sometimes just feel like if you're in a mood you're in a bad mood like let yourself move through that we always always talk about that so yes. I'm glad that you mentioned the importance of that now mm-hmm. I know that I'm doing the right thing <laughs> yeah and I think that understand that with if some people and it's sometimes if we go into the negative some people's lives are destroyed that way I mean I'm just going to say something really big right that's depression yeah you know and so we don't we're not afraid of going into emotion for no reason it can be very dangerous to go into emotion it can be very dangerous to never go into all the extremes are really real you know and so when we have fear of going into emotion we work on the fear of going into emotion and then the brain creates a new way of being with that fear and it's like okay that's true and as the fear gets out of the way said well i think we could do it like this and sure enough they can they can't do it the way everyone else does it or the way that we thought they would be able to, but the brain has said, no, this. And so next thing you know, we're in. Right. And so it's, I really, I grew up, I took some computer programming classes because my brain's nerdy like that, but I hated working with those computers. Cause I was like, these machines are dumb. <laughs> I just was mad. But the truth is I didn't communicate well with those machines. That's really what the truth is. And I blame the machine. But when I'm working with humans, it's so intelligent and it's so you can, I I can be totally off and it will say, okay, I appreciate you over there, but what about this? And, and people, people's brains know how to heal. It is phenomenal. And there's anyway, it's, it's, I'm, I'm thrilled to be doing this kind of work and helping people, you know, drop old programs, drop old beliefs, and then pick up the ones that are fitting with them and that light them up and glow because, and I love supporting them to do it because once they can do it, it's so healing to them and they can start their own self-trust starts to reconnect, you know? And it's one thing when you step in and you do the fixing and you're the hero, but when they do it themselves, they're their own hero. And so you're looping that your kid getting that loop back in, you know, and that loop isn't going out, right. It's, it's, it's coming back in and then they can share their cup is full and they can share from that. You know, and it's like, I, I hope that's one of the things I really want for all of us is to really have that be our own hero. Mm-hmm. And 
start aligning with the hero and everybody else. And it's just, and then when you're faced with another threat or trauma, you're able to recognize it much sooner and begin the process of really healing yourself, Yes, which I think is really empowering, you know? Yes. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned your programs. Tell us a little bit about them for anyone who's interested. Yeah, I do a lot of work to help people heal themselves. And so, and I try to make any level that you work with me that you're going to get some really powerful stuff. And so I have a Facebook group where I teach these interventions for free. I teach, I'm as a matter of fact, I'm doing one tonight and I just give people interventions and many people will take them and resolve their, their issues, you know, and that is one wonderful. I love to hear, they send me emails. I stop my panic attacks and things like that. Love that. And then I have a program called inner world transformation. That is an intensive eight week program where I offer a curriculum and we follow that curriculum weekly. And I have people do two hours of this work per day. And we meet twice a week for two hours each time. And so these are work sessions. They're not like traditional therapy where we're going to talk and use our prefrontal cortexes together. Actually, we're going to find symptoms and do the work to resolve symptoms right there. And I'm going to watch your skill set and I'm going to help you overcome any challenges. And I'm going to make sure that gets resolved and that, that you feel like you can replicate that again, because then after the session, you go off and you have your hours of work to do between then and the next session. And then we do it again. And so by the time people are done with that eight week program, we've, we've done an hour, 112 hours of specific and targeted brain work which for many people, depending on where they're at in their journey is like their, their disorder is resolved for other people, especially those facing complex childhood trauma and that are at the earlier end of that, they're looking at, they need to do about 200 more hours. And so, but by this point, they're fully trained. They're trained better than most trauma therapists. I know because I was a trauma therapist that was just out of trainings and what it took to get all these skills and be able to find the right order to not just eliminate symptoms, but to resolve, but to create the brain wellness to resolve disorders and the brain to generate its own states of positive moods, right? So, and, and higher moods. And so, so that's that. And also with that group, I offer ongoing free graduate meetings on a monthly basis. Mostly I had COVID recently, so I canceled that month anyway. So, but that is a phenomenal program. I also, I have made the curriculum of my program available as an online self-study so that people can follow and that's delivered weekly or monthly. And I teach them the interventions and then how to apply them. And in, in the way that I found resolves disorder in two to six months, but they can use it at whatever pace they want. I have clients that have gone through that program and they do that by themselves, I probably would have done that route. I was a therapist who was never going to go see a therapist. And I know that there are other people. I asked one person why they chose that route. They had been emailing back back and forth and we still email. I've never met them and why they chose that. And they said, my inner work was probably going to be really messy. And I didn't want anyone to see that. And I was like, yes, I get you, you know, that you can go home and heal in the privacy of your own space. (laughs) and do a really wonderful job. And so, and my program is the work program. It's not, it's not the learn about it. It's actually roll your sleeves up, get your paper out. We're mapping thoughts. We're we're looking for what's going on in your inner world. And we're, we're going to apply the interventions at the same time. So it's really about deconstructing the stuff that you don't want and reconstructing and constructing sometimes for the first time, the things that you do want, because brains will build anything. 
And where can um, people so, reach you and find out more about your program? Yeah, that's available. I it's just talk and talk over here. Thank you. Oh, you guys have been fantastic hosts. I'm having such a good time. Too. I feel like there's so many more questions that I wanted to ask. We'll have to get you back on. <laughs> you know, deep dive into some specifics again, but you, you unloaded a lot of really great, deep, valuable insight with us. So I'm really excited about that. But yeah, for anyone out there who okay. wants to learn more about your work or get in touch, where can they best, the best reach you at? The place to find me is my website. And that's rachelmcleod.com. And that's R-A-C-H-E-L-L-E-M-C-C-L-O-U-D.com. And um, on there, I can, you, you'll get links to um, a webinar where I talk about the process, uh, my Facebook group where I have, where I offer the free trainings and where you can get access to those and start watching them immediately. And then the programs I offer and then my email list, my email list, I'm going to tell you, I'm very proud of this. I send out email after email about if you're, if you're having symptoms in this scenario, this is what could be going on and this is how you resolve it. And so people really can learn how to break down things. So I think they're very valuable and useful. <laughs> so not just, you know, some of the fluff we get in some of our, our email lists. So that yeah, is, subscribe. yeah, I would encourage that. And then I have YouTube videos. I have almost a hundred of them on there where I talk about all this stuff and getting rid of symptoms. And, and also in my Facebook page, I have lots of videos there. So amazing. Yeah. your passion that you put out all this accessible information easily tell that you're in it for the right reasons and trying to heal people. Now, a fun question that we like to ask all our guests is that if you could sit down and have tea with anyone dead or alive, who... You know what? Look mm-hmm. at this. I told you about my uh, religious obsessions. I would hang out with Jesus. That would be one. Because I'm like, I want to get to the real bottom of all of these things. And <laughs> to have a face-to-face, I would just be thrilled. Okay, number two is they're competing. Is my mom. She passed away this year. And I just, mm-hmm. I would love to have a sit down tea. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, right. I, it's life and, um, it's, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, but it was, it was victorious in many ways. I think that's the word that's coming up and it's just, you know, I just feel like we did it. We came here and we did some really hard stuff together Mm -hmm. and it was just her time to go. And, you know, I, I, you know, you really can't get grieving wrong, except for if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. And so I had really the best tools available. I had just the right support when I needed it. And though it was hard and challenging and very much like giving birth, I've never given birth. I've had five C-sections. <laughs> All my children are born by C-sections. That's okay. That's as great. I was going through this and my body, I was letting my body do its natural thing. I, I really felt like I got to that transition point where I had to really trust and let go and like, let her die. Cause all of us are about like, all of me is I am, I want you to live. And it was like to switch that to, to, you can, you can go now and it's okay. Was like, I just, I, 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 I now understand primal crying. You know, I, I, I've always say ugly crying is welcome in my play, you know, when, with clients, I, I can't say that enough ugly cry, but this was, and I, I am a champ at ugly crying. I can like, I'm good. I could win some, some, I could win some things, but that primal crying was really a whole nother level, you know, and mm-hmm. so important. I'm so glad I allowed that. I, I really feel like I went through that process without suffering. Mm-hmm. Though it wasn't easy, it wasn't pleasant. I did not want to be doing it. Most of the time I wanted to run and avoid and flee. 
and it was a lot of survival system work, but um, I'm so glad I was able to be present to work through that and be present and do that with her. So mixed, mixed stuff that's still at unpacking, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I'd like to just have some tea. Yeah. <laughs> Hang out. Yeah, those are great answers. Now, just to end this on a, on a positive note, do you have any words of encouragement for somebody who might feel really defeated now mentally? They might be in a tough spot and they just need like a little bit of hope and encouragement that they could turn things around. Yeah, I would say that that is one part of the truth and it really is real. It's really valid. It is really, it's valid to feel totally hopeless. And like you have tried everything and there's no way out. And I, and I think that's an honorable truth. And I know that that's only actually one part of the truth. And when brains want to heal something, they hyper-focus in and there's nothing else to them. And so we mistake that to think that my life is over. This is awful. But really that's your brain is in mega healing mode. It wants this thing resolved and it will tune everything out. It's like there being a, a sky out there and there's some clouds. And it's like the only thing the brain will see is that one cloud and nothing else exists. And so what I would say in that is, is, sit with that, those feelings of defeat and it's over use an intervention at the same time and watch your brain do the healing work. Sometimes it goes in a little farther. That's why it's nice to have support while you're doing this because it can get intense while it's drilling it. It's like, it literally wants to drill into it and understand it. And then as it's, and when it finishes, what it will do is it will let go and it will look at the whole picture again. And we don't want to fight that process because it's like, it's constant. Like your brain always wants to go back there and always wants to. And it's like, if we can just go with it in there, it will open up and you'll see the rest of everything else. And so there are multiple truths in the situation. And isn't it interesting that in this moment, that's the only one that's, that's drawing you. Right. And, and so if we can just honor that, that it's drawing us for a reason, not to harm us, but actually to heal we can kind of trust that and get the support we need and, and really help the brain do if the brain gets what it wants, it gives us what we want. And it's not, it's not doing that focus ultra focus for no reason. So I'd say, keep honoring the truth, you know, talk to people about the truth, but if you're listening to this, grab an intervention and start talking about the truth and, and watch how your, your brain will open up to all the truths that are available to you. That's wonderful. Well, you gave us such great insight today that I'm sure is going to help a lot of people. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Rachel. And we'll have to have you back on for sure. Thanks for joining us on our episode with Raquel McLeod. Raquel taught us a lot about several methodologies that can help us alleviate stress, anxiety, and even depression. Raquel also reminded us that no matter how we may feel right now, There are methods and lifestyle practices out there that can help us get to a better place. As always, if you have any questions, please email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or reach out to us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.